Welcome back to Common Sense Fantasy Baseball. I'm Drew, and today I'm here with a guest, Mike Curland. You can find him on Twitter at Mike underscore Curland. That's K-U-R-L-A-N-D. Mike, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me, man. Glad to be here. And you have graciously uh, agreed to go through the ADP with me, as I've been doing for the last few episodes. Um, and so we're going to start the eighth round. And um, just so everybody can follow along if they want to, what we've done is we've sorted um, the Draft Champions League specifically from January 1st through today, the 28th. And um, so the, the idea here is I just want to go through um, the first I'm not sure how long we'll we'll keep this uh, pattern on my podcast, but you know, just give people some some ideas of who I like, who who my my guests like, and who we also feel you know you're really going to lose value if you you take them. So that's kind of what we've been doing, and and you've agreed to pick that up with me, so I appreciate it. Oh, it's my pleasure, man. I, ADP is fun. It's definitely a fun topic to discuss. So it's an interesting <laughs> topic for like how you approach it, right? Because if you yeah. always just or a slave to ADP, you know, you may miss your guy. Like, you know, somebody, I, I was in a draft recently where I kind of had Tim Anderson penciled in, in like round seven or eight and somebody took him in the, it was either the fifth or the, I think it was the fifth. And I was like, Oh, well not getting him, you know, like, and that's fine. Uh, as long as you have sort of backup plans, like, yeah, I, I, I definitely wouldn't have taken him that soon. But if you're waiting till the very last, you know, uh, pick before his ADP, you're going to miss guys, I guess, probably 50% of the time, right? Because 50% of the time they go before, 50% of the time they go after their ADP. That's how the ADP is, you know, is calculated. So it's an interesting thought. I, I'd love to hear your thoughts along the way about, you know, if you think this guy's maybe worth a little more or less than the slot. But um, anyway, let's get started. So uh, Colin Weatherwax was on last time and we went through, uh, we actually went through 106 because he wanted to talk about Josh Donaldson, who was at 106, and uh, we both thought Donaldson would move up, and he has. He's actually at 102 now, um, but also moving into the first 105 picks, the first seven rounds, is uh, Liam Hendricks, uh, closer, <laughs> presumptive closer for the athletics. Uh, I'm pretty much still not taking closers in, in round seven, and part of the reason for that for me is there's just so many great hitters to get there that, that are going to get you tons and tons of counting stats, runs and RBIs and, you know, plenty of other stuff too. But um, just, just for reference, the, the, some of the guys that went in the seventh round of my most recent draft, I'll just read them off. Nelson Cruz, Josh Bell, Eddie Rosario, Trey Mancini, Jorge Soler, Joey Gallo, Matt Chapman, Yasiel Puig, Josh Donaldson, Gary Sanchez, Nicholas Castellanos, Carlos Correa, Mike Moustakas, Andrew Benintendi. Every single one of those those hitters went in the se- uh, the seventh round, so that's not a round where I'm taking a closer. What about you? This is the first year, and it's weird. It's funny because like I normally do- I've always been anti closer, but and Hendricks is a bad example because he's actually somebody I'm avoiding as well. He has a lot of Blake Trinan esque feel to him. After that, maybe it's maybe it's just recency bias. Same team, same age, same everything. Any pop up but... closer, you, you gotta you can't feel too comfortable. That's that's exactly it. So, it's maybe not this. I, I believe it or not, I've been I, in my last couple of DCs. I took I think Chapman and Yates. I believe it was like I took a, a high end closer for the first time ever because we get to this middle tier of closers that I have zero confidence in. Hendricks. I guess that. Um, how how early? 
Uh, um, I think I, th- I think it was a sixth or seventh round. Just to, and that, was, that was another thing. I was like, I was kind of late. I think I only had one SP, so I was like, well, I don't like the you know the SP runs. So I was like, let me bolster up my ratios and Ks a little bit with a high end closer instead of taking one of these middling relief uh, starting pitchers because I felt we were entering a glob of starting pitchers. And gotcha. then we also, that's also the same area where we enter that glob of hitters. So like at, for me, it was like that one position stood out. I was like, let me get like an elite closer. That way I, can, I know I don't have to worry about saves so much as these, as these runs happen. So I, I don't totally disagree. Um, the reason I t- took the time to bore everybody and read off all those hitters is to me, a lot of these hitters that are going here, these are, these are kind of the, the end of the hitters that can really be like just – not necessarily five category, but like four category studs. And and some of them are five. Like, I mean, as long as he gets a job, Yasiel Puig, you know, is going to get yeah. you mostly all five categories. I mean, the batting average might not be a huge boon, but it won't hurt you. And then some of these other guys, I mean, like they're going to get you 30 plus home runs. And then like a lot of them, like you, you kind of pencil in somewhere between 80 and a hundred runs in RBIs. And when you're, and later on in the draft, you know, um, like Dansby, Dansby Swanson is a guy I like really late, but he's not going to get you 90 runs and 90 RBI unless something changes because he's just not going to be hitting at the top of that lineup. And so that's hitters around, you know, the seventh round are going to get you guys are, are going to get you, you know, counting stats that guys going later just just won't be able to get you. So that, that's that's my only argument for basically taking as many hitters as you can in the first seven rounds, I'll usually take all hitters except for two uh, pitchers. And you know, I've kind of been doing the pocket aces thing, if you want to call it that. <laughs> but, uh, but anyway, that's just my, you know, we don't have to belabor the point, but I did want to sort of get it out there to explain why I'm doing that and what my thinking is. And then, oh, and, and then as far as closers go, you're, you're definitely getting better closers. I, I'm not, I, I wouldn't, wouldn't argue with you there. I just tend to play the, 11th 12th round closers you know just whoever whoever get whoever falls whoever i can get and uh you know i could come back to bite in some leagues when they lose their jobs or whatever but you know sort of uh taking the discount i guess but anyway no, I, I completely understand it and that's why it's like i think i like you said you're you're specifically talking about this round and like you said i kind of go a little earlier what i do is i grab that closer and then while these runs happen i do i some of these hitters that you were mentioning, I mean, maybe they're not falling now, but they were back when I was like, I haven't done DC in a couple months. So, what I would do is I would take that closer, get it out of the way. And when all these runs of closers are happening, that's when I just scoop up some of these great values at hitting. So, it's like there's a little give and take because I don't, again, I just have less confidence in that next tier of closer. So, it's been a thing I've been toying with essentially. So, like you said, I don't want to harp on it, but it is interesting because it is, we are kind of opposites on this and people do attack this position differently. So, it's kind of, and I, this is my first year being pro closer early. Never been that way. That is an interesting strategy point. Like, um, you know, like, I think maybe at least one draft, I had, like Taylor Rogers in the seventh round. And then I was still able to get one of those hitters that I named in the eighth round. Mm-hmm. And maybe even one in the ninth round. I mean, I've, I've definitely seen Puig and Castellanos fall to like late eighth, early ninth. Um, you won't see Castellanos fall anymore. No, I mean, that's the thing. I was about to, <laughs> to, to, to close this point because I know uh, we're, we're kind of going on about it. But I, I do think you're, you're not going to see those discounts on those hitters anymore. So I don't know. We'll, uh, we'll, we'll move on. But, but good points um, on, definitely, your, on your side. Fun, sure. Definitely a fun discussion. So, All right. So I'm going to rattle off the entire eighth round. And I just, I just want you – you've got it up in front of you too. So I just yes, want sir. you to sort of 
zone in on any guys who you think are either like great values or big dangers here. So, um, and then I think a couple of players, Colin and I might have already talked to, because obviously since Donaldson jumped up and Hendricks jumped up, somebody's jumped down. But anyway, here we go. Uh, 106, Carlos Carrasco. 107, Ben Tindy. 108, Mancini. 109, Den- Denelson Lamette. 110, Puig. 111, Otani. 112, Montas. 113, Castellanos. 114, Conforto, 115, Bumgarner, 116, Brad Hand, 117, Zach Wheeler, 118, Reese Hoskins, 119, Edwin Diaz, and 120, Yuli Gurriel. So what, what are your first impressions and who sticks out to you from this eighth round, uh, where, where guys are going in the eighth round? I love this round for the most part. I really do. There's uh, a lot of guys that I just that I had named before that were taken in the seventh round in my most recent draft. So exactly. you got to think that means some of these guys are moving up. Exactly. And like you said, as soon as Puig signs, I think a lot of people were just worried about where is he going to sign. And I don't yeah. see a team not contending signing him unless that's all he's getting. Like, you know, the, maybe he's going to get a one-year prove-it deal similar to Mizuno, but even that should be for a, a contending contending team. But Puig offers a Puig offers a five category value or upside. I mean, so that's hard. Like, it's hard to find those, and you're getting one outside the top 100. That's beautiful. Castellanos with the signing, we know he's going to be like a, he's going to move up just like Donaldson's moving up. He's going those guys are both going to creep into the early seventh, probably like in that 90 pick range. You know? Yeah. No, I agree. Uh, I think both of those guys are going to be in the seventh, and maybe even you know guys that you would consider reaching on in the sixth. Uh, as we yeah. get closer to the you know the drafts that uh, um, aren't necessarily you know not uh, draft champions but just other fifteen teamers, uh, it's tough to get those steals, man. Especially with with Puig, I'm thinking. I mean, Castellanos is great too because you got the average, so he's he really is a true four category stud. And Puig, you know, I mean, you could see thirty fifteen or even thirty twenty if you really want to squint. So I mean, yeah, I mean. I, I definitely zoned in on those exact same two guys. Um, and I agree with everything you said. I would maybe even throw Trey Mancini in that camp too. I was um, about to say, there's two names that really pique my interest as far as like one guy I really like, one guy I really don't like in this group. Mm-hmm. And Mancini was the one I really like. He's just consistently overlooked. And if you take a look at like the back of the underlying metrics and everything, Everything seems legitimate. I mean, he, the year it was, I think it was 2017 when he had that good year, kind of his breakout year. And then last year he kind of took a step back. And if you see, there was like a little bit of a launch angle change from like over seven degrees to five degrees and some, somewhere around the five degrees. Yeah. He's had a very, seven, very so. low launch angle, which, you know, contributed to the skepticism, I think, because it's like, you know, he, this guy has 50 barrels or whatever, but he only hits 24 home runs. So what's going on? And, and that's exactly what it is. You keyed in on this, the launch angle. And so he's gotten a little bit better. And, and it's it's amazing how, you know, some of it's the happy fun ball, right? But but also... And you, Camden Yards. And Camden Yards. But, but, but the change, you know, for him between hitting 24 in 2017 and 2018 to hitting 35 this year with just a slight launch angle tweak and a, and a juicier ball is it shows you, you know, how, how big launch angle can be. And I mean, and the other, if people aren't quite bought into the power, that's fine. Camden will carry some of that. He, I still think he's going to hit around 28 if the ball is even a little less juiced, but what's also very, you know, 
what's also what you like to see is that he also improved his plate discipline. I mean, his walk rate was a career best. His carry was a career best. Yes. So he's obviously so he's obviously seeing the ball better. And, Absolutely. And because of that, he offers you. He's almost like a Castellanos, and Castellanos was actually going behind him. And now I feel like Castellanos is about to jump. We talked about about ten. Oh yeah, time. yeah, for sure. But you have you have Trey Mancini just sitting there. People are like almost skeptical about it. I if think you can safe... get Trey Mancini in the eighth round, I mean, you're getting a bargain. I say, yeah. Like I, I, think... I don't care who jumps ahead of him. You just you know, if he's there, make sure you you key in on it because yeah. not only that, but even in the, the the draft champions leagues, he's um, first base and outfield eligible. So yep. I mean, <laughs> yeah, I, he's going to have that eligibility in any league, but in the draft champions league. That helps you a lot. Um, you keyed in on the next point I was actually about to jump into is just like on top of the fact that he has a high stable floor. I feel like he has that multi-positional eligibility, which is absolutely like invaluable. In and, and draft formats. champions for sure. And I know you do a podcast about those leagues, so like he's he's definitely a target um, in draft champions leagues, even more so. One other thing I wanted to sort of mention and, and get your take on about Mancini. The Orioles are kind of low key decent as a lineup. Now their team is, you know, they're, they're not going to win fifty games because their pitching is atrocious. But but his uh, his RBIs, you know, when he hit, you know, two ninety back in twenty seventeen, he had seventy eight RBIs. And you know, granted, he didn't have as many home runs, so that's part of it. But he had ninety seven last year. So like somebody's getting on base now. VR is gone, but they're going to probably have Austin Hayes. I just think he's going to, you know, like, I, I don't, I'm not discounting Orioles as much as some people. I'm wondering what's going to happen um, come the come spring training coming up soon, which I can't wait. It's, it's almost here. <laughs> um, I'm just because you look at the roster resource and roster resource, their edgy, their, their best guess is better than my best guess, but it's still so early. It's hard to really put true, like, belief into that what they put together but if you look at their roster resource, they have Mancini batting second, which would limit that potential for RBI, obviously. But I think that's uh, where he hit most of last year, though, isn't it? Or did he hit third? I I I want to. Didn't he hit third? I, I honestly don't recall. I didn't own enough Mancini to know this. Well, I, well, I actually talked <laughs> to um, Jason Martinez of Roster did Resource you? on a podcast, and and mm-hmm. he would say the exact same thing you were saying. Um, it, it's so early. Uh, I know for one thing, they actually had Austin Hayes hitting second a while back, and he he moves these things around. But he was he's he was basically saying, look the managers of the teams don't even know who's going to hit where or who's even going to be in the lineup at this point, you know, yeah. spring training is going to change things, you know, how, how guys are feeling, you know, health is going to change things. So, so I definitely think you're, you're onto something with that point. Um, but, but, you know, whether it's, uh, so right now they've got Hans, Hans Alberto, Mancini, Santander, Renato Nunez. That's a pretty good group to be in. You know, I think yeah. Santander's underrated. Renato Nunez is going to hit 35 bombs this year. I'm going to go ahead and call that. And Hanser Alberto is a is a non base machine. So I, I really think, you know, Mancini's gonna have the opportunity for counting stats galore. Uh even, you know, like no one's saying that the Orioles are the new Yankees. I mean, like I'm not trying to make an absurd point about how, how great their lineup is. I'm saying you shouldn't discount their players um yeah, that, I mean, that are hitting mentioned- yeah. I'll say, like you mentioned, you have uh, Austin Hayes right now plugged in at six, and Chris Davis needs to go because you have Ryan Mountcastle in AAA who showed he could do something with the bat last year. Yeah, get him up, get him up, and now you're adding. He plays first base, I believe. So, or he could DH. Nunez could play first. Either way, Mountcastle should be in that lineup at some point, probably early on in the season. So that lineup is, like you said, low key, like pretty decent. And then you add, factor in the home park and the bouncy ball probably coming back to a point. Yeah, I just think that I think, like you said, there's a lot more to like there than than not the eye initially 
catches probably. Yeah, I mean, I'm not going nuts on like trying to acquire a bunch of Orioles, but the guys that the guys like I, I think I would say Mancini and Renato Nunez and Santander. I think those three I'm kind of locked in on as they're going to be in the middle of the lineup or at the top of the lineup, um, and that a lot. So we've we've probably talked enough about Trey Mancini, but eighth round value. Uh, so we, so that's that's three. Um, any other values here, or do we want to jump to the other side of the coin? Well, the other side of the coin is really what I want to jump to because I want to harp. I feel like people aren't listening to me enough. I keep yelling <laughs> about it, but there's no reason why Otani should be taken this early in this in this in this particular format. Preach, I'm with you. <laughs> if he if this is daily, this is a steal. So in daily leagues. Take advantage of the ADP because, and assuming he has multi-positional eligibility, Yahoo keeps him as two players for some reason. They need to fix that. But in leagues where he's one player with catcher, or with catcher, listen to me, with pitcher, <laughs> with pitcher and um and DH eligibility, and it's daily moves like daily, you know, daily leagues, he's a steal. You can grab him like 20, 30 picks earlier and still have value to be had there. Here in this particular format, weekly, there's no value to be had here. He's at at most pitching once a week. And that's and you're assuming there's no put no um no put no rain delays no anything like that that pushes him out of the week you know setbacks and whatever, and then if you storm as a hitter what are you getting four games a week at most so he's capped on his upside there, there's just it's more of a headache than anything else and there's no reason for him to be going this high in this format. Completely agree. I'm just completely out on Atani. I mean, I would consider him you know, in the, the 15th round or something, literally, because yeah. because he's, you know, pitching once a week is, is a huge deal because sometimes in, like, draft champions leagues or leagues where you can roster a lot of pitchers, you know, you're going you're gonna to wait on sort of the medium pitchers, maybe not guys you're taking here in the eighth round, when they, when they don't have a two-start week. And then even the guys you are taking here, they're going to get two-start weeks sometimes. So he's basically less valuable than the other pitchers going here because he's not going to have any of those. I mean, they basically said that. And then if you want to use him as a hitter, you don't get that. So he becomes a hitter and he's inferior to the other hitters going here because he's not going to play every day either. So it's like, you you know, damned if you the do, worst, damned if you yeah. don't, right? The worst so, of both worlds. And so the best of both worlds, he is the worst of both worlds right now at, uh, at this price. I completely agree. <laughs> so so we're, we're both out on Otani. Anybody else? Um I can understand Mad Bum and Hoskins. I just Hoskins. I've I've actually grabbed him in the league. I think it's just a matter of. I I feel like you got to have a share or two just in case. That I think the I mean he's too good to not bounce back to a point. But it's just one of those things. It's like uh, I'm, I'm I'm okay with them. Mad Bum, same thing. It's a matter of like how did I start my pitching staff? Did I go kind of really risky at the beginning? Did I start with like a like a glass now and a paddock, then yes, Mad Bum makes perfect sense. This is where roster, this is the part of the draft where roster construction really matters. And it really will dictate which, which direction you go with these picks. I I get that. Yeah. I'm, I'm still like, you know, this is, this is still my, my area where if, if a hitter drops or, you know, Castellanos is, is is going here, but not for long. But if a hitter is available here, um, whether it's Mancini, Puig, Castellanos, or somebody else drops down, um, or even like Michael Conforto, I don't have any Michael Conforto, but I'd be interested. Um, 
you know, I, I think this is a, still a really good place to take a hitter <clears throat> yes. before this, before the counting stats start dropping off. But um, completely agree. So I'm not really getting any pitchers, but like, I don't have a problem with Mad Bomb or I, I'm actually really interested in Denelson Lamette. I think you're going to get like 250 strikeouts if he plays a full season. I don't know if he's going to play a full season, but I think, you know, <laughs> I, I think like, it's the ERA that's concerning. I mean, he has the breaking balls. He has the slider that's like amazing. A curveball solid, but that fastball literally is like bad. It's terrible. Players. Yeah, no, it's, it's really <laughs> bad. The fastball gets gets crushed so unless he can fix that yeah you're right but i mean even his whip was decent so it's just like you, you can almost think about foregoing era mad bum would be the exact opposite right like he's the most he's like the solid guy but he's not going to get you anything any wow factor no flashy yeah nothing flashy i, I do want to just real quick about reese hoskins i mean i get it i mean we all are looking for that 35 40 home run power i actually you know i think he is a pull ball hitter more than people realize and it, he scares the crap out of me because that average is not going to be good. Um, you know, I, he, he started out last year. Well, with like, he was hitting 263 through a couple months. Um, and then I do think that there was an injury that happened, but like, I don't think that 263 was going to stick around even if he'd stayed healthy the whole season. I just, I really see him as like a 230, 240 hitter. And, you know, if I'm, if I'm wrong, then, you know, I'll, I'll take my lumps, but I yeah, am, exactly. I'm pretty much out on him. So. And I don't blame you. I just, like I said, I had a team where I was like, he offered the most upside for what was available, at least at the, at least at that time, in my opinion. But I could be wrong. Yeah. I, I'm I'm very willing to be wrong. No, me and too. I, and I also cannot. Buy, and I also can't really buy back in, you know, to y- Yuli Gurriel here because, you know, that power just seems like such a a, a phantasm. You know, like I just well, cannot. Really... All, it was all pull side home park. Right, right, and especially with all the. The nonsense that's going on. I'm not trying to discount Astros, but I just, I just, Yuli Gurriel does not do it for me. Hold so. on, hold on. Wait, I'll, I'll, I'll... You hear ah! that? There it is. <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> I had a uh, can in my hand. What are the odds? I, I love that. That's the trash can uh, yep. banging uh, debut on on this podcast. I, 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 don't, I don't think I've ever heard it on any podcast. So you know what? That's an exclusive. You're welcome. Hey, we we brought this to the world. Thanks, Mike. I love it. Uh, yeah, no problem, man. All right. Well, that's that's pretty awesome stuff. I, I say we move on to the ninth round because I think we identified some some great value there and sort of what we're looking for. And, um, you know, like not a lot of really hard outs, uh, but some players that we're probably not going to be, be taking there. So, all right, ninth round. Um, at pick 121, you have Zach Galen or Gallen. <laughs> I don't know where that came from. Uh, 122, Taylor Rogers. 123, Mitch Garver. 124, Jesus Lazardo. 125, Ahmed Rosario. 126, Hunjun Ryu. 127, Danny Santana. 128, Lance Lynn. 129, Elvis Andrews. 130, Kenley Jansen. 131, Miguel Sano. 132, Michael Brantley. 133, Ken Giles. 134, Eduardo Escobar. And 135, Wilson Contreras. To me, Mike, this is an interesting, interesting group. There has, there is a lot going on here. So I, I'd, I'd love to know the first things that that hit you about about these uh, ninth rounders. Give me all the Lance Lynn shares, please. Oh, okay. Lance Lynn I, is your is your chosen guy here. Over. Oh, I love him. Over Zach Gallon, over Jesus Lazardo. I guess. Yep. Oh, I guess over both of those just because of innings, right? Um, innings and what he did last year was not like unsustainable. There was a legit ch- pitch mix change. Mm-hmm. He, um, all the underlying indicators suggest 
he pitched the way he should have. And now he's getting a better home park. I mean, he was pitching in Texas, which is known to be a hitter's park. And now you're going to give him a neutral park, like a more new, what's supposed to be playing more neutral. Like, yes, please. Like all day. Yeah. Okay. So you think, uh, his, I don't know what his home run per, per nine was last year, but I mean, you think, oh, it was only 0.91, so it's hard to imagine that getting a ton better. I'm not saying it's going to get better, but I'm saying, like, it's just he's getting a safer environment, even if there wasn't going to be any type of, I guess, if, if I was suggesting any type of negative regression. Now, what I think about that's kind of stunted a little bit now? What about Hinjin Ryu? How are you, what are you doing with him? I mean, obviously, you like Lance Lynn more, but is that a hard <sighs> avoid on Ryu, or, or are you sort of. I don't open like to this price. Okay, it's just the price. The I guess price, like, I don't see. It. I don't see the. It's the health. I mean, there's a high floor here, but the he lacks the K rate, and he's never really been healthy. Yeah. So it's like I have a hard time. Really, and then take the fact that he's going to the uh, the AL East. I mean, that's a harder division, worse ballparks. Like all three ballpark. I think all oh, all three. Listen to me. <laughs> all the all the ballparks, all five ballparks in there, are. I think that's maybe, a really good point. Boston? First of all, he's got to face the Yankees and the Red Sox and the Rays. You you might even throw them in there. And we just said the Orioles are not a bad lineup and they have Camden. So so you're right. I mean, he's he's definitely going to a worse division. Like that's that's just a given. Now I do think I, is he a ground ball pitcher? I, I do think that he would you know, control with that crazy that control. crazy control and that low whip, I think he can I think he can be okay. I think he can help you and whip. I think he, you know, like I'm not, ex- no one's expecting him to have like a sub two ERA or whatever, but, but even if he had like a three, five ERA, I think that'd be okay. The thing is you're basically giving up strikeouts in a big way. He's just not going to be, he's not going to have the strikeout rate of, you know, some of the other guys that you could, I mean, obviously um, like Lance Lynn. <laughs> Lance Lynn, there you go. So, I mean, so you're he, giving up a little on, on the strikeouts, and you're 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 definitely um, you're you're probably playing with fire because if if for some reason that ERA uh, is more like a four, then you're you're, you're just paying too much here. Um, even though he's going to probably help you in WHIP, and like you said, I mean, like going to that division, that's that's probably one of the worst divisions to pitch in, um, if not the worst. And so that's a big change for him. So I'm kind of with you. I mean, like, obviously, I'm just not really taking a picture here. I'm still trying to get any hitters that I feel like can really shore things up for me. Or I'll even, like, if if, if I, I don't have a hitter here that I'm excited about, then I'll probably just take a closer at this point, ninth round. So, yeah. so but this yeah. is where I'm actually grabbing my SP3. That's because I see Lance Lynn here, and then we're going to get to another guy that if I miss on Lance Lynn, I fall back on in the next round, or not, technically next round, but I would reach from here. Okay. So. All right. So it's like this is where actually I'm grabbing usually my SP three because I feel like there's this is where the hitter values start. This is where the hitters start. This is where it transitions from hitter values to pitcher values because we just went through all those hitter values you were mm-hmm. talking about. Yeah. So I think the hitter values you take advantage of them there, and then this is where you like you mentioned grabbing a closer. Even I can understand grabbing a closer here or your SP three. Like I, this is where I transition from hitter to pitcher again. I got you. So speaking of hitters, uh, we we talked about some of the pitchers here. What do you think about the uh, the hitters going in the ninth round? Uh, I, they're interesting. Like you said, it's almost need-based. You have Santana with his steals. You have Sano with his 50 home run upside. And then you have the safest guy of them all who's always undervalued in Michael Brantley. Like, and I would throw out one more potentially undervalued guy, Ahmed Rosario. I think, um, I think he's a, he's a better hitter than a lot of people realize. Now he's not going to get you 25 or 30 home runs. You know, he, he might not get, he might not get more than 15, but he is a, Perennial twenty steal 
threat. And really, he's got so much speed, he can steal more if he just learns how to not get caught so much. But um, I don't see him getting a red light. I think he's going to get you those, get you what you're looking for there. And, you know, a good average. Uh, His expected average last year was a lot higher than, or his, you know, his um, XBA, expected betting average on StatCast. I want to say it was like 291 or something. I actually tweeted that out a couple months ago, and I'm already forgetting. But, um, (laughs) but But, yeah, a lot of interesting hitters here. Uh, but I will say my guy here, I'm just sort of putting my, my stake in the ground on Danny Santana. I really believe the breakout. Uh, I don't, you know, I'm not penciling in 20 steals, even though he's actually projected for 19 or 20 steals. But uh, I, I believe the bang average, I believe a good bit of power, not like crazy power. But I think, you know, my bold prediction would be he goes 30-20, which... Oof. It's crazy to a lot of people, but like he's being projected for 19 or 20 home runs. He hit 28 last year in less than a full season. It's not, it's not insane to say that Danny Santana could go 30, 20. I, you know, it's bold. Like I'm not expecting that. I'm not penciling that in. I'd be ecstatic with 25, 15 and a, and a solid average. Cause he's probably going to hit clean out for them unless he really struggles. And I just, I believe it. I'm, I'm here for it. I, the batting average what was probably maybe the biggest shock to people because he hit what did he hit like 275 280 um i should know this since he's my guy <laughs> but but uh you know i don't i don't believe that he has to do that I, he's capable of hitting 270 280 but i don't believe that he has to do that to return it in an insane value here in the ninth round i think he's like basically puig or Ramon Laureano light, you know, like he's, he's exactly the kind of player that I want to target here. My only concern with him is the batting average, not the necessary, like kind of, obviously if you can build in the batting average potential or, or the, I mean, his XBA wasn't bad either. Like you said, it was like 275, 275. And that's a really good point. I mean, so I, I like, probably, I might put too much credence in XBAs, but what would scare me is if I looked at Danny Santana and I saw like an XBA of 245, right? Cause then it's like, Okay, not only did he well overperform, he also got lucky, right? So, so if that if the two forty five he 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 earned in this hypothetical scenario went to two thirty five and he underperformed, then we're looking at a sub two thirty hitter, and yikes! But that's not what we see with Danny Santana. We see a two seventy five XBA, and so I'm you know I think if he hits two sixty or two fifty, he's still a value here because I because I really do believe in the. The other stuff, the you know, one reason I believe in the power, and I think you know, people who have listened to me at all will probably know where I'm going with this. But I mean, his max exit velocity was 113.1 miles per hour, so that puts him in the top, you know, 100, 150 players. Uh, my math is always very, very rough here, but my my point is that you can tell actually puts him in the top 100. I just, just looked it up. So, but it, but it tells you something just from hit from that one ball. He hit that hard and that's, he can hit a ball that hard, you know, like even if that's all it tells you, it tells you something. And so, you know, uh, I could talk about Danny Santana for a while, but, but I'll, I'll, uh, I'll leave it there. I just think, you know, if, if I'm, if I'm getting a hitter in the ninth round and I can, I can get Danny Santana, I'm, I'm ecstatic. No, and I again, like I, said, I understand it. I'm I'm not really on the same page with you. This is like one of the first time I've kind of been off, and a lot of it's just I'm big on plate discipline, and he lacks it. We're talking bottom seven percent of the league in K percentage, 
because it's 29.5% last year, and bottom 10% of the league in walk percentage at 4.9%. So that's like modesty type stuff now. And when you look at the splits, obviously the second half he fell off a little bit, and it was the last two months, so it makes you wonder, maybe pitchers start figuring him out, because last the last two months of the year, he hit 195 and then 253, which is serviceable. So if you can get to 253, like you said, you'll take 250. That's <laughs> that's within a, that's honestly a potential, and I can see that. But you also have a floor of like 230, I think. And that's, that's with, again, with said aggression like i completely agree that is the concern um and but and, i understand in august he stu- he struck out 35 percent of the time and only walked 2.6 percent of the time but he mm. did rebound in september he walked 10.8 percent of the time a high for him and he only struck out 30 percent of the time i say only kind of tongue-in-cheek there that's still a lot but you know, maybe if they figured him out, they didn't completely figure him out, right? You know, like, and, and this is all sort of, you know, nitpicking slash grasping at straws. I am not <laughs> expecting him to be what he was last year. Um, and, you know, and, to some extent, there, there will be there'll be a mixture of regression and, and, and pitchers figuring him out and pitchers realizing who he is and watching out for him and just all of that but and now another uh, one last thing one last thing to poo poo on you i'm sorry drew i hate to hate to i really <laughs> no. hate Paolo and, no, no, please. I'm, just, I'm just trying to voice my concerns because when you have a player with that type of you know just balls and strikes you know ball, uh, balls and strikes uh walks and k rate type of thing mm-hmm. you look to see well maybe like like tim anderson he was the batting champion somehow last year and he has like similar like not that bad but he has pretty bad you know walk rates and all that. he doesn't walk for nothing so you have to look you look at contact rates and for somebody who's as aggressive as he is, and with those with the K rate and strikeout rate, you go further into the plate discipline and you look at the contact rates to see, okay, well maybe you know what if he's doing all this, maybe he's maybe he's hitting the ball more, making a lot of contact. He actually has a below league average contact rate as well. So I'm honestly not seeing how he has sustained or even was close to sustaining such a good batting average last year. When you have uh, he has a contact rate almost five percent below league average, swing strike rate four four and a half percent more or higher than league average, and a chase rate. 10% higher than league average. So that's what really can say. I don't understand where the batting average is even coming from with such a high carry, such a, such a low walk rate. So, so, so no plate, no plate discipline really. And the contact rates being so low across the board, they're actually below average. So my working theory here is, um, I'm trying to understand. I'm is, just personally trying to understand. That's all. I can... <laughs> my working theory really for any guy with a high strikeout rate, whether it's, you know, Acuna at 26% or you know, whatever, mm-hmm. or, or, you know, uh, people that have a much higher strikeout rate but a good batting average like Danny Santana um, is that the quality of contact is is so is so good when they do make contact that it, it sort of makes up for the lack of contact. And to, to use this from the flip side, I say, well, you know, you don't want a guy who makes contact as much as Albert Pujols, but, you know, 20% of the hits he gets are ground outs, right? Or whatever. I mean, yeah. I'm, I'm making up that number, but I'm saying, you know, if let's say you have Pujols striking out like 12% of the time or whatever, let's say he struck out 30% more or 20% more. So he had the same strikeout rate as Danny Santana, but he was swinging harder or, you know, I don't even know if Pujols could still do that. He might have, <laughs> he might have more home runs. He might have Danny Santana like uh, quality of contact um is a real makes, bad example but that that sort of idea makes sense to me and holds and that's why you see the stat cast numbers you do for day santana 
Yeah, and he did. You know, he had the barrel. He had the nine point five percent barrel rate, which is above league average, of course. And although it was a step back from twenty eighteen, twenty eighteen was a very very small sample size. So I would I would argue that's his, this is his career high, which came with a launch angle change as well. So I can understand there's give and take. Maybe I'm looking to like I I'm just a really I'm a big stickler for plate discipline. And although I understand. I, my the plate discipline just to me plays into the batting average concerns more so than the actual potential for like power and speed output. Which again, that's kind of what you're targeting him for. You're not you're, you're not taking Danny Santana for his batting average. You're hoping that it kind of lands similar to last year. But if it lands closer to 250, you're okay with that because I'm I'm assuming most people are taking him, looking at the speed, the power speed combination, not so much the batting average. So if people were thinking that there was a five category thing here, I'm just trying to maybe show people hey look maybe bank on the four categories which is still very good at this point in the draft but make sure if you i would say make sure you're building for that batting average well uh fallout potential that's really where i'm trying to harp on not I, so much the production i think that's fair and i think you know i do take projections seriously and they have him for 250 you know instead of 270 or or, or or better and that is a huge difference and you know that'll that'll um t- you know tamp down the counting stats as well and uh, projections also have him for about 19 home runs and 19 stolen bases. So, and, you know, n- not great counting stats. They've got him for like 70 of each. Uh, I think that's not going to happen unless he loses time or, or, you know, hits his way out of the lineup. But um, I think he's going to have, you know, at least 80 or 90 runs in, in RBI each if, if he stays uh, in the lineup, and if he hits cleanup, even, even if the batting average isn't there. So, all that to say, I agree with you on the concerns. They're there. Uh, I'm still betting on Danny Santana, <laughs> but but I thank you for uh, for your input, and it's it's good. I, Colin kind of raked me over the coals with Jorge Soler because I'm I'm also a Soler guy. Oh, well, I love Soler with you. So, oh, okay, I mean, okay. So, <laughs> well, we can end on agreement there. Uh, but, there you go. but no, I I hear your concerns, and I appreciate you putting them out there for the listeners so well now i'm gonna have to bother colin behind the scenes here and ask him what his concern or, I, or just go listen to your podcast to be honest listen to, listen to the collins collins episode was interesting we, we we had two really good disagreements and it was moncada and slayer and i'm on both of them he's he's kind of off both of them oh wow so, so i'm with you on two guys what okay i, I saw now Colin. you know his, what? We well get... so it was the, it was the batting average with both he, he's yeah he's was not, it okay he's not really convinced that either of them made the uh improvements that or, you know, they obviously made improvements in 2019. He's not convinced they're sustainable. So and I can I can understand that, but I disagree. Yeah, I'm, <laughs> so. I, I, I mean, I'm quick to buy into these things because the thing is, you know, if you're not if you don't buy in, you you miss your chance, right? Like if, exactly. If this is real. If Danny Santana really is, you know, Javi Baez like in his ability to um, trade strikeouts for just really good contact and really good. Um, you know, quality, then he's moving up next year. <laughs> like, so, I, you know, I, I feel like ninth round is a fair to take that stab, but there's still a lot of really good stuff here. So, and to, I, I hate to, I can't help myself. I just have to voice my real quick on the Mankata and Solar thing, both of which, again, plate discipline, both of them made changes in their plate discipline as far as like tangible change that would suggest re- reasoning behind their success uh, Solaire was just kind of an improvement across the board as far yeah, as contact yeah. rates and it was all bananas that. And then, in the second then, half for him you, you, and you realize Mankata, this right like he hit 299 yeah. in the second half. which i'm not buying into obviously if he hits 270 i'm happy but oh yeah I, exactly, I, exactly. I, i'm taking two i'm banking 260 and about 35 40 bombs like that's what you're getting that's what i feel like that's like the floor 
with this newfound Solaire because he was a highly touted prospect at one point. People yeah, almost he, forget that. People think he came out of nowhere for some reason. I, I'm not really understanding that argument. So I'm with you and, for sure. And then you have Mankata, who's just the, on the opposite end. He actually got more aggressive, and usually with more aggressive, more aggression comes a bottom. So there is potential for him to bottom out because you know he increases O swing and all that. You but know who I would comp? Was... You know who, who I would comp to Mankata right now? Mm-hmm. Let's see if you can guess. Oh, like, he was he was a rookie. <laughs> he, he was a rookie last year, so he's young like Mankata. He is super patient at the plate, so he'll oh, walk. Vigio. That's exactly right. Kevin and Vigio, I... I, you know, I'm not sure he's going to make the Mankata leap next year, but it's an interesting comp because, like, if you don't swing, you're going to strike out a lot. <laughs> like that's just the way. It, you're also going to walk a lot, and that's exactly what the two of them did and Mankata decided to swing a little more and we saw in 2019 you know good good things happen so just a just a little thought when it comes to Biggio and we're going to talk about him next round so we can we can save it but um or we can transition right into Biggio because obviously I don't need to harp on Mankata I'm so cool mean... <laughs> did you have anybody I know you kind of called out Sano and Brantley as as potential good values I guess Brantley is like pretty as safe as it gets right <laughs> that's exactly what it is it's just you know you're getting four high floor categories he's boring but he's always and he's been healthy a couple last couple of years i believe so it's like people are just again it, he lacks the flash whereas snow you get the flashy potential i think it's a difference making power potential like as far as like league winning power potential but that I'll comes s- with a 230 batting average i'll so. say this i would i would much rather have snow here than reese hoskins around earlier um, i agree I think yeah, he's got 100%. more – I know he's got more power potential, and um, I don't think the batting average is going to be that much worse. So, it's a, I mean, he might give up a few counting stats because he, he might hit in the bottom half of that lineup just because that lineup is so stacked in, um, in um, Minneapolis. But, but yeah, okay, we can, we can move on. That's, that's a good round. Uh, I, I just find a lot of interesting stuff in that round. We didn't even really touch on Mitch Garver, but, uh, but he's an interesting yeah. – guy a catcher you know i'm probably not gonna be looking for a catcher here just because there is still all this other kind of more safer value i guess but um it's interesting and the same goes for Contreras. oh i have to say something about eduardo escobar you can have him (laughs) i guess i really haven't um given a guy in in this round that i'm totally avoiding Eduardo Escobar would be that guy. <laughs> I second I, that. I, I second that with I, you, man. I don't think that it was completely crazy what he did because he managed to pull. I think he led the league, and I know he led the league, and pulled hard hit fly balls, um, which is great. But I don't know how sustainable it is because the last time somebody hit as many as he hit was Brian Dozier a few years ago, and you, you see what happened. You know how he trailed off after that. Um, so I, you know, I really don't know. Obviously, Escobar is younger than Dozier was at the time, so maybe he can he can do it again. But you know, like he hit, I think it was fifty plus pulled pulled hard hit fly balls, and and that translated into thirty five home runs. It could have could have been even more, but um, you know, like that's not a very sustainable profile. He doesn't hit them, you know, like he doesn't hit the the, the majestic, you know, light tower shots. So it's it's all has to do with how much he can pull the ball and then he can continue to hit for a decent average. And he's not a high average guy. So just sort of beware with Escobar. I just I just find that there's there's you know, it's funny that I'm now talking about safety when I'm the Danny Santana guy. But <laughs> at, at least uh, at least go for the upside of a guy like that here instead of Escobar, in my opinion. But um, that's just me. All right. So let's move on to the, the 10th round. 
And it starts out with a, with a guy that we were just talking about, Kevin Vigia at 136. Tommy Edmond comes in at 137, 138 Max Fried, 139 Craig Kimbrell, 140 Rasael Iglesias, 141 Eduardo Rodriguez, 142 Will Smith, the, uh, the pitcher, the relief pitcher, which is interesting. <laughs> uh, 143 Hector Neris, 144 Kyle Tucker, 145 Carlos Santana. 146, Malik Smith, 147, Robbie Ray, 148, Kyle Schwarber, 149, Fran Mill Reyes, 150, Alex Calame. So that is your 10th round uh, in January. What do, you, what do you think about that? So many, so many good names here. I really like, and I think there's a lot of value in this, still in, the, in these rounds. I mean, the two, that, the, the two that really stand out to me, and it's Biggio, I'm surprised, is going this low because, like, someone like me, I actually reached and took him. I almost took him at his min pick at 108. I think I took him like at 112, 113. Because I, this, I never see him in the tenth round. I, I'm with you. I, I this, I, I'm I've seen him go in the eighth round plenty of times. If not I think before. I took him roughly there. Yeah. So, yeah. And my big thing is just, it's I I think I mentioned before I'm huge on roster construction, and I don't. You mentioned don't be the slave. To, don't be a slave to ADP, and this is a perfect example because Edmund and Biggio kind of fit together i'd rather have biggio because i think there's more upside there but biggio is just a huge target for me because come that 10th round or eighth round ninth round doesn't matter because once you get inside the top 100 it really is preference and i grab them because my team was in really big need of of speed so i think there's 20 20 steel or better upside potential there and you're getting a guy who's at who's a second who's second base eligible and second base gets shallow relatively quickly so i think there's just those two things really add up and i'm surprised to see his price so low still yeah, it's interesting. I mean, I think, you know, he's got to make the, the – tr- he's got to change something about his plate approach, right? He, I think we, we just sort of said he's got to swing more, right? <laughs> he's, um, you know, he's, he's walking a lot, he's striking out a lot, uh, and he's got a low batting average. And that may be the concern uh, with Biggio. He's – he had – you know, in a short season, just 100 games, he had 16 home runs and 14 stolen bases. He actually was not caught at all. He was one of two players who stole double-digit double, double digit stolen bases and was not caught at all. Um, actually, he might have been the only one. I'm trying to remember. I, I'm already forgetting <laughs> off-season tweets that I uh, put out back in November. Well, you get busy, man. <laughs> like Someone like you, someone like me, we uh... – we stay busy year round, so it's like there's stuff I put out in November, December. Heck, I put out stuff in October, and I'm like, did I really <laughs> exactly. say, like, there's, there's two things. One, I was like, wow, how did I forget this? This is awesome. Let me retweet it now. <laughs> yeah. Or two, and or there's two. It's like maybe I should delete this tweet because it looks really bad right now. <laughs> exactly. So, yeah. I, if if I find something good, it's like do I retweet myself, and sometimes it's yeah. This I have is, no problem retweeting myself. This is me <laughs> quoting me, but um, yeah. So so Biggio is an interesting guy. I mean, there's something's gotta got to change for that average to come up, I think, um, like we were talking about with Moncada, but you can certainly see it. Um, I think I'm with you. There's just so many interesting hitters here. Tommy Edmond has intrigued me since uh, really, you know, before the off season, but ever since the end of the season, um, sort of dreaming on what if he, what if he not only was in the lineup every day, but what if he got to lead off like he was doing a little bit at the end of the year, you know, um, They've got Dexter Fowler penciled in as the leadoff hitter on roster resource. I think Dexter Fowler is pretty close to done. Um, he just, he really can't hit for a good average anymore. 
So if that happened, if Tommy Edmond got that, and, and you know, like with his speed, you can dream on thirty stolen bases. Oh yeah, his speed is legit, and he has really good contact skills. So he he'll he doesn't strike out a lot. He'll get on base a ton, and he hit. Yeah. Um, he hit so well last year. You know, it's hard to not regress him a little bit. He actually hit uh, 300, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, 304 in 92 games. So that's that's legit. And he hit 11 home runs in 92 games. So I don't buy the power. Of I don't the, think. The I, to, yeah, I'm. If the ball's bouncy, I mean. Sorry, go ahead. go ahead. What were you? I was gonna say. I was just gonna say if the ball's still bouncy, then the power's gonna be there. But otherwise, I think 10 to 12 is kind of like what you should expect. But with a bouncy ball, everybody hits 20 or 30, so he'll hit yeah. 20 probably. I wouldn't even dream on more than 15 from him. I just wouldn't do it. I mean, he's got like Whit Merrifield kind of power, right? It's it's like he's he's never gonna gonna get to 20 home runs. It's hard to see it, but I mean, you never know. But but uh, but the stolen bases or the speed is real, you know. And the and the he's got a really good. Um, plate approach and you i really think you know i'm not saying he's going to hit 300 every year but he could uh he could have a very very good and helpful batting average the the only thing with with edmund to me is the playing time you know i just i don't i don't trust that he's going to be in a great spot in that lineup and get the um everyday playing time but he's definitely interesting um uh, they haven't made any moves to suggest otherwise though i mean by I know, not going they, out by, by, not, by not signing ozuna by they missed ozuna they missed castellanos they makes you wonder like are they trusting in him and maybe dylan carlson who's a big guy of mine and obviously that's way later in the draft but maybe yeah. dylan carlson's gonna get that chance that they mentioned last season that he would get i think they mentioned it towards the end of the year or early in the offseason that he would have a chance to fight for the position this, this spring so maybe they're giving him the opportunity because they want to compete now you know yeah, that would be really cool. I'm I'm definitely a Carlson guy too. But I mean, you could see Edmund getting sort of a super utility type role where he gets playing time. Even so, you know, uh, exactly. Even you know, Carpenter's not going to be. Um, I mean, he 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 may bounce back, you know. But I mean, that I would not be surprised if they wanted to give him a day off every now and then. And then you got so many other positions where they've got sort of fringy and. Um, platoon guys and injury you know like they, they can get tommy Edmond in the lineup if they want to me it's just a matter of is he hitting first or is he hitting is he hitting ninth and is it like five days a week or is it every day and i just don't i just don't know for sure so but maybe even more interesting to me and, and where i'm usually going with a 10th round hitter because they're actually there in the 10th round most most times unlike biggio and Edmond, they, they don't make it to the 10th round that much but um uh Kyle Schwarber at 148 and Fran Mel Reyes at 149 are like almost the same guy to me in a weird way. <laughs> like both of them can hit 40 bombs for sure. Like they, they have that in the bat and more. Uh, both of them, I think, could hit for a decent average. I think, you know, I think sort of like 260, maybe 255 is the but like both of them could hit somewhere in the 270 to 280 range if, if all breaks right and they, they, they continue to improve as hitters. Um, so, I, you know, and, and I think they're both going to hit in the middle of the lineup. So, and Kyle Schwarber has even hit at times at the, at the top of that lineup. So um, what am I, uh, what am I missing here? Or do you agree with me on these two sluggers? Schwarber and who? I'm sorry. Schwarber and Fran Mill Reyes. Uh, Fran Mill, he just lacks the plate discipline for me, but Schwarber, Give me all of those shares as well, man. So, Fran Mill, I'm okay with it. Like, he's more, if I need power, strictly power, I'll take him and his 240 batting average, I expect, and the 40 bombs that come with it, and I'll take that with me. He, he's just, his plate discipline for me isn't, 
I think it's one of those. I think it was his contact rate was like the worst in the league among qualified hitters or something crazy. I saw really? him, I, yeah, I Matt Williams. Hold on, I'll find the gotta find the information now. Uh, Matt Williams. Oh, it is pretty bad. Sixty-five point four percent. And we, I, I don't. I, again, I'm big on contact rates and O swing and and string strike rate. Those are my big things. And although I don't think he's gonna bottom out completely, when when someone just lacks the contact skills, that lacks your upside for batting average. I would think, you know. I think that's probably fair. I mean, you know, he could make a, a Solaire like jump in that in that area. Um, Maybe, but and I'm okay. And I, I, but at this price, you you can actually take that chance. So I'm not out on him. It's just I'd rather have, like give me Schwarber every day of the week over him. Now if I if Schwarber's gone, I think I'm taking Framil in a league or two, or at least in a mock or two, because I'm totally buying into the power because you know that power is forty plus easily probably, but. I mean, he. I mean, obviously, if you look at his plate discipline across the board, he's straight. He's swing, he has a huge hole in the swing because the swing strike rate is at seventeen point eight percent last year. O swing was also thirty four point three percent, both of which were above league average and not in a good way. And and then when you pair that with a with the contact rate, which is one of the worst in the league, if not the <clears> worst in the league among qualified hitters, you're getting a guy who can legitimately hit two twenty. Like <laughs> that's why that's what scares me. But I think two forty is still sustainable realistically in this in uh, with him and. Well, Ultimately. I mean, you know, and I, I hate to to be a slave to the um, X, XBA, but his, his XBA was actually 264 for Ed Mills. And that so, goes back to him just hitting the snot out of the ball probably. Yeah, and I think, you know, like, so 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 it is interesting on StatCast, if you look at Fran Mill, he was 17th um, in the league um, with his barrels per plate appearance, but Kyle Schwarber was 23rd. So both of them extremely elite in um, – in, in power and, and, and barrels and just everything you want from a power hitter, uh, you know, like yeah, 40, that's 40 isn't even, uh, you know, like it's, it's perfectly reasonable 40 home runs for either of these guys. So, so, but I'm and with the, you, the more I look at it, the more I, the more I lean Schwarber here because of all the other stuff. Um, well, Schwarber and a lot, I did a deep dive on him really early in the off season. Again, one of those things I should have saved, cause I think it was really good content for now as people return, sure. but the big, the big thing with Schwarber, and I guess I can sum it up relatively quickly, but with me relatively quickly is like three minutes. Um, <laughs> uh, with Schwarber, it was just a big second half change at some point last year. I couldn't pinpoint the exact date by any means, but he made a swing, ch- uh, a batting stance change. And with that batting stance change, he was, I, I, I noted it in my article, he was more upright. He was more open, a little, a little more open faced type of thing. So, and I'm not a scout by any means, but it was, it was like just an obvious batting stance change. Well, and when I he like made it. that change, and when he made that change, he also had like a more of an all-field approach. So in the second half, you saw him flourish. And when I say flourish, I think he hit 260, but still flourishing for him against lefties. and Or 240. Either way, 240, 260, whatever it was. It was serviceable against lefties. And we know, I think he's like a career, like 200 bat, uh, hitter against lefties. And that's with this second half included. So you saw the growth versus lefties and all-fields approach come. And you know the power is there. I think there's a chance for just a better batting average. And maybe a few less home runs, but a more of an overall game and a better lineup around them. I, I get it. Yeah. And I mean, you could, I, I know last year he hit higher in the lineup, which I mean, to me, it's, it's almost like the higher, the better, especially with this kind of a profile. If you're hitting second or third in a lineup, that's even better than hitting fifth. I mean, I, you know, cleanup is obviously an enviable spot too, but Schwarber is even leading off some, which is going to help the runs, um, you know, if, if not the RBI. So yeah, it's it's interesting. I, I really I still like both of these guys quite a bit, but uh but Schwarber like, Schwarber just kinda has the edge everywhere. Even his expected be 
batting average was just a slight bit higher. It was 267 to but if Fran you need pure power, I would say if you just need the, the pure power play, Framil's the way to go because, again, you, you mentioned it. I mean, his barrel – when he hit – again, he didn't hit the ball as much as you'd like, but when he hit the ball, he was top 6% of the league in barrel rate. His exit below exit- was top 1%. But his uh, his but target I mean, rate was top two percent, so you know the power's there. When when you hit a ball that hard, even if you don't hit it often, it'll still keep your average uh, palatable. So that's why the two fifty, the two forty batting average, I think, is probably the floor. But two sixty wouldn't surprise me either because a lot of those balls will make it out of the infield. But I have to say, Schrober was right up there with him in all of those statcast metrics, and he even had oh. a higher uh, max exit velo and a better launch angle so yeah i'm not here to argue i'm i'm all about the uh schwarber i told you give me all schwarber shares so you're, you're not going to hear me push back about schwarber over reyes i'm just saying i can understand if you want to i guess i should have worded it you I, I can understand if you want reyes for the power upside but i think schwarber is almost like i, I feel like Schwarber. i just rather have schwarber every time i'm trying to be trying to give re- potential reasoning for for it but i, I can't actually do it personally does that well, make any and, sense? And I don't know why we're comparing them to each other necessarily, other than they're very similar, but I think we like them both. And I think that's a yeah. good I mean, I think this is like a little um as a great little spot if you're targeting one of them. I think I would target Schwarber. And then if he gets taken earlier in the round or or somebody jumps him earlier in the draft, you may still have a shot at friend mill here. So you know, and, and with both of those guys, you kind of know it's know what you're getting. You're getting a basically a three category powerhouse with a decent average. Um, so, so yeah, I like that a lot in the 10th round. Um, as far as, <clears throat> I guess th- those would be my main targets of, of everybody here, but as far as avoids, well, did you have any other 10th round targets? Um, I, let me pull it back up. I, I'm, I'm kind it. of, I've, I've taken oh, freed. I love freed. I'm not going to, Harp, I'm not going to say, I just think Freed's a great value here. I'm surprised he's going so low because I'd rather have him over Ryu. I'd rather have him over, I'm just picking up names that we pass on. Ryu, um, Denounce Lamette, I actually think I'd rather have Freed over. I think there's a higher floor there. Lamette, I can understand because the shiny new toy, the shiny toy thing, but, um, and I think that he's just being undervalued. Lazardo gets kind of, it's like close between Lazardo and Freed. I think, oh, I just like Freed as SP3 here. I think he's solid. So, um, so Iglesias, I don't want. That's just another name. So, so Freed has kind of um, always eluded me a little bit. Like, I mean, the, like everything is decent. Somebody, right? There's always a, somebody higher on him than me, though. Well, I just, I just don't. I just mean like when I'm trying to analyze him, he's kind mm-hmm. of, he's kind of confused and confounded me. Like, he, everything is good, right? He's got a very, he's got an above average K per nine. Like, he strikes out a, a decent amount of guys. He's got a very good like ERA and xFIP is even better, you know. So that's great. Um, of course, you know we're we're talking about a one one season sample so we, we don't know if he's going to be a mid threes low threes high threes but you know you, you expect a pretty good era um i don't know about the the uh control well he's got he had a pretty good walk rate the thing that gets me is the swing strike rate is not very high and he gives up more contact than you know like than aces for sure for sure and so he you know he's kind of similar to guys that you're getting in these in you know anywhere between eighth and ninth round seventh eighth ninth round to to more like you know uh, 11th 12th 13th round i'm thinking of guys like um well i know griffin canning or bats i like i like canning a lot but um maybe like maeda um, Marquez, 
I think, you know, uh, I, maybe this is another place where I have blinders, but I mean, I really like those guys that have a higher string swing strike rate um, just for reference. So um, everybody knows what I'm talking about. Um, Freed had 11.4% swing strike rate, which is I think a little bit better than league average, but it's not outstanding. And he gave up 75.5% contact. If I look at Kenta Maeda, 14.6% swing strike rate and um, 69.7% contact given up. So he's just a, a good bit better. Now those are almost like ace-like and, you know, I, I don't think he's a true ace. I think, you know, like there are other issues there and, and you got to be holistic about any pitcher. And I think maybe Freed is one you have to be more holistic about um, than, you know, like just seeing the, the upside and the potential to have crazy strikeout numbers and stuff like that. So I'm not trying to say anything bad about Freed and I'm not super off of him. I'm just saying, I think, you know, th that's why I think this price is kind of fair. I think people are uh, expecting a lot of good things, but I, you know, I think, there are there are different ways that this could go, and he could either just be, you know, an okay pitcher, or he could take the next step. And just to, I mean, I know the swing strike rate is a concern, uh, concern, but in the last year, he had in the first half it was ten point nine percent. In the second half, he jumped it up to twelve point four percent. Okay. So you're you're looking at a whole, like you said, you're looking at the whole pro, the whole thing, but so he jumped it up almost, you know, about one and a half percent, roughly two and a half percent, two and a half. Can't do math. Two and a half percent swing strike rate bump. And with that came like a eight point something K per nine to a twelve point something K per nine in the second half as well. So, well, that's I'm good. I'm good. That's interesting. So, yeah, I mean, those are those are enough to sort of to perk up um, your ears. At I guess, yeah. I mean, I'm just kind of saying. Like, I, I just looked it up to be honest, so I can't act like I knew that off the top of my head. But it was he, it definitely intrigued me. When I looked at the first and half, first and second half splits, and I realized, I've, you know, pretty much the numbers across the board were better in the second half. And that's when I was like, let me dig into the first and half, sec second half uh, strike rates because you saw I saw the K per nine up there and all that. So this is when you start going down the rabbit hole and you saw that. And then let's see, like you see, you look for a pitch mix, pitch mix change. And they're really, you, you see more sinker usage. Mm -hmm. He started incorporating sinker more, less four seamers, kind of dropped the changeup altogether. Up, up the, like, you see like a little bit of sporadic use and like the, the curveball has always been a heavy usage pitch, a little more slider usage maybe. So you see there's a, uh, it's my big thing is tangible change. I can say that word, that term over and over again because the idea is when you see production change, you see a change in production and it pairs up well with something you see like in a pitch mix or velocity or whatever it is. If there's all that, like if, if that comes together, then I usually, I'm I tend to buy in more. It looks like there was a little bit of a change in obviously in the production that matches up with a small change in pitch mix so usually that, that's how i know it's like okay i'm gonna buy in more i'm gonna rank him a little more aggressively because obviously he made the necessary changes to uh back up the change in the production so interesting well it sounds like you know more about freed than i do so i'll, I'll just actually there no, i'm not gonna lie to you while you were while you were discussing him i looked all this up i just have all these, <laughs> i have I keep six tabs. I'm, I'm a true degenerate. I keep six tabs up on my computer at all times. And while my get, like usually either while I'm talking to somebody, cause I'm not perfect. You know, I, I don't know all these things. I well, you have to, to remind yourself, but it sounds like you have, you have looked into him before. Yes. I, I a little <laughs> bit. Well, that and um, my co-host SP streamer on my other, on my podcast, uh, he's a huge freed guy. So he's kind of turned me on to him. So I give him full credit for turning me on to him. And then I, what I do is I take what he says. 
I ignore half of it, and the other half I go look up. <laughs> I I just you know I, you can only process I, so much. Well, I will say and... about Freed, I'll say something positive, and that is I I really don't see him losing his job. <laughs> you know, like he, is... should, he should have full run in that in that uh, starting rotation. It just uh, that's one thing the Braves have just not really uh, accomplished. I mean, I I realize they got Hamels, and that's that's good, but uh, they do not have a uh, a true ace. Um, you know, Soroka's great and Freed's, Freed's good, but they, yeah, those guys aren't going anywhere and they, they need some more help probably. Um, so that's good. I, I will say like getting off of, of, of Freed specifically, this is a, this is a pretty big part of my strategy. And that is, I just, uh, I kind of agree with, uh, Toby from bad flip crazy. Cause he said, I think he's even said on my podcast when he's been a guest, he said that, you know, we're really not as good as we think we are at, um, evaluating these sort of non-ace pitchers and and trying to figure out who's going to take the next step. And I'm I I was trying to do that last year, so maybe that's why that resonates with me. Um, and this goes like for we anybody. <laughs> What's that? We we all were trying to do that last year, and it well, failed all of us. So well, my okay. my two examples that I always use, and, and people have probably heard me use these before, are last year in the seventh round or so, you could have gotten Shane Bieber or you could have gotten Nick Pavetta. And so I don't feel like I am good enough to distinguish the Beavers from the Pavettas. I was kind of just, uh, you know, off. I might've had, you know, like one share of each, but I, I was just kind of off in both last year. Uh, but I was, but I was very guilty of this in, in, in the same rounds and um, even, you know, the low teens rounds of just like going for upside pitchers that I thought were going to, you know, take, take the next step and become, if not an ace, like a solid number two. And I'm, you know, and I had so many shares of like Corbin Burns and <laughs> Josh James and uh, just all these guys who, who a month into the season weren't even pitchers, you know, weren't even starting pitchers anymore. And um, I'm not saying that about Max Fried or anybody in this, in this range, but I am saying that, you know, the, the Pavetta thing is, is a real sort of, thing that can happen and so that's why i try to get those two aces and then it lets me sort of wait a little bit later than this to to get more pitchers that's just the way i'm going about it and it seems to work pretty well uh for for the way i'm building teams because i feel like i can wait a little bit longer and it allows me to get guys like schwarber and uh Fermil reyes and uh, maybe biggio or edmund here um, instead of feeling like I have to go ahead and, and take a starting pitcher. And sometimes I'll even go ahead and take my closers before I take another starting pitcher um, because I feel like I have such a solid floor if I have two real aces. But that's true. That's just a strategy point. Not everybody has to do it the same way. There's a lot of different ways to win. Um, going back to the 10th round here, uh, so we've, we've talked about some of our targets. What about some avoids for you? I, I can definitely see a couple that I'm avoiding here, but um, what do you think? Um, avoids. Let's see in this round. Well, let me just talk about um, Will Smith. The yeah, he's the, the one. That, he's the one that just popped up. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's funny. It's really strange to me because, like, he's been going here pretty much the entire off season, and you know, I don't get it. The thing was when before he signed with the Braves, you thought, well, okay, he's going to get a job somewhere and he'll be the guy. Maybe even the Giants will sign him again. You know, like. You, you were pretty sure he was going to be the guy. And even when he signed with the Braves, I was like, you know, RIP Melanson, right? 
But then the Braves come out and they say Melanson is the guy. And so it's like, well, now I don't want either one of them because I, I think that Will Smith is the better pitcher. And I think he will eventually win the job as closer. But I don't know if it's going to be in May or August or April or 2020. I mean, 2021, you know, I, you know, I just don't, I don't feel confident. And like, I don't understand why you would pay 10th round price for a closer that you don't even know is going to be the closer. I'm, I'm hundred percent with you. I don't have anything to add to that. You, yeah, <laughs> you hit the nail on the head. I mean, I don't get it. You're right. I don't. It's, it's very strange, especially, you know, the next pick Hector Neris. I mean, he, he may not be your favorite closer, but he's the guy, right? Uh, yeah, Craig Kimball, a couple of Colome, he's down there. Look Colome, at him. that's a good, I'm taking, I'm taking him over, over uh, Kimbrell or Rossiel Iglesias. Cause I think they both yep. have they have some risks. So that's a good, that's a really good get there. Uh, at the end of the 10th round. Now there is one other guy here I'm avoiding and that is Malik Smith. Yep. Um, that's, that's not only from a team construction uh, point of view, which I always avoid rabbits. Um, it's one reason I don't um, take like a Mondesi because I think, you know, I'm, I'm not sure what the power is going to be like. I'm not sure what the RBIs are going to be like, but with Malik's it's, it's worse than that. So it's not just, I don't want the, you know, his 40 stolen bases or whatever. And, and, you know, for him to hurt me and the other things it's that I really don't think Malik's can hit the ball. Like I don't think he's good at baseball. Um, unfortunately, because he had that one good year in what was it? 2018. And other than that, he has not shown an ability to hit the hit for average. And, you know, as they always say, you can't steal first. So uh, I am, I'm worried about Malik's losing his job. I'm worried about him just being bad and having a 230 average. Like there is a lot to be concerned about here. And just to back up my point, uh, his expecting batting average the last four years, 219, 222, 270, and 219. So he had one just sort of almost out of nowhere good year in 2018. And other than that, he's been rough. You, again, another guy that we just – lockstep with i'm lockstep in the same thought process as you i zero interest i'll have zero shares this year and again for me like even if you're okay with getting a rabbit don't i wouldn't get this one (laughs) you know like i just i not only is it the 10th round valley value here that you can you can go a lot of better directions with not only is it the 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 fact that he's gonna hurt you and runs an army it's just that this player specifically really scares me and i feel like he could really um lose you a lot of value so well, uh, let's see. I think for me, uh, that's going to pretty much do it for for the 10th round. Well, Kyle Tucker is an interesting guy. A lot of upside, a lot of downside. Don't know what his playing time is going to be. Do you have any opinion on Kyle Tucker? I'm really just looking for advice. I don't know. Yeah. It's, it's just so <laughs> hard to trust just... teams, right? Like, And again, I... we're getting to a point where it's like you take a chance on him here. And sure, he could produce across the board, but he has the... right now he's not the starter. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, so you're taking a guy. He's almost like the Will Smith of outfielders. Like you're taking you a guy. You're hoping. You don't know if he's the starter, right? And you don't know like are they going to platoon? You just have no idea. And and there are certain teams. You know, the Rays platoon a lot. The Rockies like have log jams everywhere. There's just certain te- the Dodgers. You know, like who knows what they're going to do? There's just certain teams where I'm just not taking my stabs, especially in draft champions. Like 
you know, let me just mention the Dodgers. And I, I think Gavin Lux is going to be a great, great ball player. And I might try to get him in a, in a league that has fab, you know, where I can pick up somebody else if they just decide to let him ride the bench or, or you know, like don't even start him in the majors or something crazy like that. But in draft champions, I just kind of, you know, ignore these, these teams and these guys. And so Kyle Tucker is an interesting, like high, high upside player. And if, you know, if he was locked in with everyday playing time in a good spot in the lineup, you could see him going in like the fifth round. <laughs> but, well, maybe that's a little aggressive. I mean, I'm not sure what his bad is. I know what you're trying to say, though. But, he, but he's huge upside, and 10th round would be a great value if you were convinced that he was going to play. So, But you're not, so. <laughs> I, I'm far he's, from it. I mean, he, he's give, me, give me Schorber over him. I'll take yeah, Schorber. Yeah, I agree. So I would, I would almost pencil him in as an avoid unless you just – He's your last ditch in stolen bases, and you just you just really need that upside. So, I mean, I take him over Max Smith. Pick. I'll tell you that. He has a, well, yeah, he has a max pick of one seventy seven. <laughs> so his max pick, I'll take him out. Everybody has a price. Like yeah. I know you yeah, probably yeah. feel the same way. And if he fell to one seventy seven for me, yes, I'll take him. I'm not taking him right here because again, we just we discussed a lot of names around him that I just perceive as more valuable. And yes. I would take him over. I would still take him over Malik Smith. <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> so, yeah, I'm with you there. Like 11 times out of 10. Like, <laughs> absolutely. Yes. Well, Mike, this has been awesome. Um, I'm going to – that was – we got a good three rounds in. Uh, <laughs> we've been going for well over an hour, I think. So Sorry. Uh, I want to – give everybody their ears back but no don't be sorry this is great stuff and i can talk fancy baseball all day man i love it man because i always i always learn from whoever i have on to do these i I love your pushback on my guys i I love the guys that you are on that i'm not so you can make me you know force me to think about it because like you know i know you, you know what you're talking about and so i i listen then i go later and i research it myself so just uh thanks for all your your input um do you want to tell everybody you know, the other places we can find you and uh, what you're working on, or do you just want them to go find you on Twitter? Uh, man, there's so much. I won't, I'll keep it short. Cause obviously I'm really, I'm obviously a busy person. I do a lot of stuff. So um, I'm obviously on Twitter at Mike underscore Curland. You can find um, my, my main thing is the bases loaded podcast. You can find it on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud everywhere. You can also find it on Twitter at bases loaded pod. I'm part of the draft, draft champions podcast. I'm starting up something with Ray Butler I write for fan tracks. I am. Yeah. <laughs> and that's, all, and that's oh. Mike being brief folks. That's, that's uh, only, yeah. that's only the tip of the iceberg, but uh, yeah, I, I um, basically loaded pod has become a part of Rotoballer. So I might start something there. I haven't decided yet. Um, <laughs> in all seriousness though, it's, 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 I probably bit off more than I can chew. So I'm just not going to bother trying to ramble on more than I have to. It's been a real pleasure coming on, man. I appreciate you having me. Hey, thanks for being here, man. You're you're a great follow on Twitter, so I hope everybody will find you there, and then they can follow all that stuff that you do. I really enjoy your podcasts too, and I know you and Zach had me on one of them. So um, it was you're doing a lot of good stuff, and I don't know how you get any sleep. But uh, what is sleep? <laughs> well, thanks for taking the time to be here, and I really enjoyed it. My pleasure, it. man. Um, thanks everybody for listening. Uh, that'll do it for another episode of Common Sense Fantasy Baseball. Um, find me on Twitter at uh, Common Sense FBB. And as always, stay classy, Planet Baseball. <laughs>